In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's official. I'm back in London. I haven't been home yet. I'm in the office and it's time for a daily podcast. And I'm here with Scott Petrak. Scott, I've seen you in more photos than uh, OBJ this week. You seem to be in every single photo at the Browns. How are you, Scott? I'm good. I'm good. I know, you know, when it's when there's that many media around, you got to position yourself so you can get questions in and you can listen to the questions and hear everything. So I tried to post up inside and that got me on a lot of videos. It also showed me I need to lose some weight. Mate, I thought it was awesome. Um, I really enjoy looking at the pictures and seeing who I know um, in the back. And uh, yeah, if um, anyone doesn't follow you, it's uh, uh, at Scott Petrak, uh, brownzone.com and uh, you also do work with the uh, Chronicle Telegraph. And where else Where else can we find you, Scott? Yeah, I mean, those are the two best places. You can read all my writing at brownzone.com. So that just makes it easier. Okay, excellent. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity that now all three days have been completed. Maybe we do each position and you maybe talk about what you've seen, any trends, anything that looks maybe a bit different to what we're hearing in the media. So um, you cool with that, Scott? Yeah, let's go. Let's go with the most uh, exciting position at the moment, the O-line. Uh, <laughs> Desmond Harrison is um, uh, gone. I believe there's great depth there. How are you seeing it uh, at the uh, camp this week? Well, I, I think you have to start with right guard, which is wide open right now. We had three practices in minicamp. We saw three different guys line up with the starter. Austin Corbett, day one. Eric Cush, day two. And then Kyle Kalis, day three. So they're not going to be able to make that decision until we get to training camp and the pads come on. But I think it's a little bit – alarming might be too strong, concerning might be the right word, that they don't feel like they want to just give the job to Austin Corbett. I mean, he was a number 33 pick in the draft last year. They traded Kevin Zeitler to kind of clear a space for Austin Corbett. So the fact that he's not the automatic starter – is a little concerning. I still expect him to win the job, but it's going to be a battle. And that's what everybody you talk to says. It's going to be a battle. So I think that's going to be one of the key positions to watch once we get to training camp. The rest of the starting line is solid. And then, like you mentioned, it's about depth. And I think they have enough depth on the interior with Kush and Kalis and Brian Witzman that they'll be fine. The only concern would be on the outside. Can Kendall Lamb be your swing tackle and play left and right tackle? Where Desmond Harrison, you knew he could play some left tackle. He's physically gifted enough. He just didn't have his head right. So with the cutting, with by waving him the other day, I think now you got to make sure that if Greg Robinson struggles or gets hurt, he has somebody that can play left tackle. And I think that'll be something they try to figure out in training camp because, you know, I don't think Corbett can do it. Drew Forbes, the rookie, may or may not be able to do it. And then Kendall Lamb is – 
the guy who spent a lot of time playing right tackle, they got to see if he can play some left tackle too. Yeah, they also signed, um, uh, I'll try and pronounce it, K.A. John Armstrong, who was um, doing some trials during the week. Did you see much of him at all? I did. You know, he was not getting a lot of reps with the guys that I was paying attention to. But obviously, they saw enough to keep him, you know, which is good. He's an undrafted rookie. You know, I think you have to have low expectations for a guy like that. But that doesn't mean he couldn't wind up on the practice squad. Yeah, okay. All right, great. And uh, um, how did uh, Weissman get on? We haven't had too much of him since he's joined. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, he, he's a professional. He's played in this league. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. I think when you sign, you know, John Dorsey signed him. He signed Cush. And it gave him insurance if Austin Corbett didn't be the guy, didn't live up to what they wanted to by the start of the season. But then you got a guy like Kyle Kalis, who was with the team last year, didn't play much under the radar. And now when you see him with the first teamers, and we saw that in OTAs as well for a couple of practices, you start to go, okay, maybe this guy can steal one of those spots. So I think we're going to have a battle in those interior spots. You know, Treader's fine. You know, Treader's locked in. Betonio's locked in. I'm sure Corbett will make the team. But let's say they keep two other guys. You're probably going between Witzman, Cush, and Kalis. And it looks like there'll be a pretty good battle there. Yeah, it's going to be awesome to see. And Forbes, do you see much of Forbes at all? Yeah, you know what? He's They haven't settled on a spot for him yet. But I've seen him play when, I, when I've noticed he's been a guard. So I think they're ready to transition him to guard as opposed to the left tackle he played in college. Although I know he liked the fact that the Browns weren't going to make that transition right away. They're going to give him a chance to play left tackle. So I think when we get, once we get to training camp, Forbes will get a chance to play some left tackle to, say, to prove whether or not he can be the backup guy out there. But the projections are he's going to eventually move inside, just kind of like, you know, Betonio did that right away when he was a rookie. And then Corbett did that eventually when he was a rookie last year. Yeah. And uh, moving on to the running back room. Uh, obviously, we've heard a lot that Hilliard's had a great um, OTA. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he showed up. And he took advantage of the opportunity without Duke Johnson being there for everything but the minicamp. Hilliard was Duke. You know, he got some of those third down reps. They practiced him at receiver some, which I had not seen with Hilliard last year, at least don't remember seeing with Hilliard last year. So it really felt like they were just kind of trying to get a Duke clone. And then with Bolton, Duke came back this week. You saw both of them in that role. You saw both of them working some with the wideouts. And they both give you some element in the return game. They've both been working in the kick and punt return. So I like Hilliard. I think it's – I think we're getting ahead of ourselves if we think he is as good as Duke Johnson. But I think he can play in this league. There was two names that are on our roster that I don't know a lot about. Trayon Gray and uh, the other guy is, who I believe is a returner as well, D. Ernest Johnson, are both down as running backs. Have you seen any of them at all during uh, this week? A, a little bit. I, I think it's Johnson is a bigger back, so he gives you, you know, if God forbid something happened to Nick Chubb and you needed – you know, early, like in the preseason, you'd say, okay, 
We need to keep a bigger back. I think he gives you that option. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it, it's a tough spot for those young kids to be in just because the Browns have some depth there. And, you know, I mean, if Duke Johnson were to get traded, all of a sudden maybe a spot opens up or if somebody gets banged up. But, I mean, right now, let's say they don't trade Duke. You have Chubb, you have Duke, you have Hilliard. And I think that would be the whole – I think that would be all of them. I don't think they would keep another running back. And then you have Kareem Hunt supposed to join you for game nine, which means you might have to cut one of those guys anyway or try to trade one of those guys. So there's not a whole lot of room there unless somebody gets hurt. Yeah, so Scott, I've got a totally different view of this. Uh, the the negative view, you could say, is that say if Johnson's head's, Duke's head's not in the right place or he wants to be traded or he gets traded, we've suddenly – Hunt, as you said, is not available to week nine. We've suddenly got two running backs and yeah. – uh, one injury, you know, suddenly our uh, depth looks like the the lineback room last year where all of last summer we're all saying who's going to be starting um, as lineback and then week four we're down to two linebackers. So I'm a little little bit concerned that even though on paper it seems like we've got such depth at running back, one injury and we lose Duke, we've got nothing. Yeah, that's a really good point and I do think that John Dorsey will factor that into his what he decides to do with Duke. And, but it, it, that is a good point because I'm used to seeing, for all these practices, Kareem Hunt. So I think kind of subconsciously you say, okay, well, he's one of the spots. But you're right. He's not going to be there for the first eight games. So, there, so, so you have to have somebody in line. Now, you know, those two undrafted guys you mentioned, I haven't seen enough of them. I mean, they haven't shown me enough to say I'm comfortable with them is my third back behind, let's say, Chubb and Hilliard. So I I think if if Dorsey was able to trade Duke or decided to trade Duke, he might have to go pick up somebody during training camp or when guys get cut at the end of the preseason. You might have to do that just to have – to be comfortable enough and feel secure enough in your depth until Hunt comes back. Yeah, okay, yeah. Now, moving on to the wide receiver room, there's one name that's got a real big mention yesterday, and that's um, Hyman, if I said that correct. Yes, Ishmael. Yeah. Can you see him making the roster? I can. And and that's going to be a really interesting position group because we all know the guys at the top, right? To me – OBJ, Jarvis, and Antonio Callaway are locked in at one, two, three. So then you get – you probably got seven, eight guys fighting for three spots. And I would put Ishmael Hyman in that group. He came from the AAF, you know, that folded. He came over with Garrett Gilbert, the quarterback. And all of a sudden, you know, you watch these practices and you always – you know, you're looking at the guys you're used to looking at. And all of a sudden – when Jarvis wasn't practicing and OBJ wasn't here and Ratley and Willie's were on the sideline on riding the bike, Hyman's getting all this work with the ones. And you start to notice him. And you start to hear people say good things about him. And it just kept happening. And it kept happening throughout minicamp, even when OBJ was back. So he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's, I think he's six feet tall. He's a little thick, you know, so he's got some physicality to him. But he showed up. And not everybody shows up in these settings, and he did. He's got a little bit of professional background, you know, in the AAF. He's been around a little bit. 
So I could see him pushing Higgins and Willies and Ratley and Blake Jackson in that group of guys. I think that's going to be a free-for-all. And I'm probably wrong on this. And when I talk to my other reporters, they fight me on this. I don't know if Higgins is guaranteed a roster spot. I expect him to make it. I think he's in line to be the number four guy. I know he has all the chemistry with Baker, and he made plays. And we saw him make plays again in minicamp. I just think that he's a guy that at some point will be vulnerable because he doesn't have great athletic talent. And maybe it's not this year, but at some point, the Browns are going to look to upgrade there. And I think you look to guys like Willies and Rantley and Hyman to kind of take that role away. It's an interesting point. Myself, um, I think he's locked on, but yeah. we never know in the NFL. You just never know. So, um, I would, yeah, I would think he might. Like, let's say he pulls a hamstring and misses a couple weeks of camp. Then I think all of a sudden it could become more vulnerable. I mean, if he's healthy and he keeps making catches, I think you're right. I, I just don't – and I don't have any issue with him. I mean, he's fine. He had a good year last year. I just don't think he is as good as some people think he is. Okay. As we, as we know, and I always say, everyone in, on the Browns Twitter world has got different opinions. So if we were the same <laughs> opinion, it would be very boring. And uh, I'm scared how uh, quiet the next six weeks are going to be on Twitter and what, what people are going to start arguing about. So, um, But yeah, um, it's quite interesting. Let's just say for argument's sake, we're going to get them four locked down. And then you're yep. right. There's four names, and there's probably more that I've even forgotten about, of Ratley, Willies, Hyman and Jackson are all going to be fighting and maybe for five places, um, maybe not even six, you know, like sometimes they like to keep in one for special teams as well. So, right. so yeah, they could all be fighting for one place, then four. So uh, um, there could be a huge battle going on there. Yeah. And I know, I know last year, you know, all the talk was about Des Bryant during training camp. And I know the Browns felt really strongly about, those young receivers and that group was the Ratley and the Willies and the Blake Jackson and Damari Scott was on the roster at the time. The front office liked those guys. So they got another year under their belts. And, and I think they like this. I, I really do think they like their young group of guys. And then they just really, you know, then they just added the premium guy in Odell, but they always like kind of the depth of young guys on the roster. Yeah. And there's like some other names, Montgomery, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Giuseppe, the uh, returns Giuseppe, yeah. yeah. And Strong, you know. Oh, I forgot about Jalen Strong. And I, you're right. And he's in that group because he's played in the league. He was a third rounder. Now, he hasn't shown a ton to me in OTAs and minicamp. And I was looking for him to show more. But he's a big guy. He's got a big body. I don't think you can write him off at all. No, so yeah. So when you look at it like that and you break it down even more, you say there's four wide receivers that are basically locked on. You then got seven guys who are all quite, have all got strengths and weaknesses and quite similar fighting for at least two, one or two positions. So that's going to be really interesting in the wide receiver room. Obviously, we're going to have an injury. It's going to happen. There's so many people, pads go on, there will be injuries. But yeah, I'm really interested to see if this Hyman makes it and if he, if he doesn't, if he gets waived, where's he going to go? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm looking forward to that. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to watching the receivers. And, you know, they get a lot of reps, which is fun to watch. You know, you can – it's not like 
they're easy to they're kind of easy to evaluate because we see them do the one on ones. We see them in team drills. You get to see a lot of the receivers, and I'm sure the Browns will be cautious with Landry and OBJ. So that means these guys will get a lot of reps, and they'll get a lot of reps with Baker. Yeah, and Scott, I've got a guilty guilty uh, pleasure to tell you about. I fall in love with the depth of wide receivers. Do you remember the guy, Jordan uh, Leslie, the one handed catch? A couple of years ago? <laughs> I do, I do. He was one of those uh, guys that got a whole lot of fan love and then disappeared. Yeah, so um, yeah, them type of players, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm one that will start talking about him on Twitter and get all excited, and then someone says, "Paul, you're talking about a player that." May or may not even make the practice squad, but yeah, I do. Um, I do get quite excited about this. And um, what we'll do, Scott, is we we'll do two more, and then maybe uh, come back next week and talk about defence because I think we've been on for nearly half an hour already. But what's your what's your views on the tight end room? I've seen uh, uh, David doing some great catches. Is he looking um, super solid? Yeah, I, he has. Um, the thing with David, all the athletic talent in the world, right? It's all about consistency. And I think this is a year where it needs to show up. And John Dorsey at the Combine talked about David needs to prove himself as a blocker. So this is a big year for him. Year three, all of a sudden, you know, next year the Browns will be have to decide if they want to pick up that fifth-year option before year four. And obviously he wasn't a Dorsey guy. Dorsey inherited him. But he has a chance to have a huge year. Because if all the focus is on OBJ and Landry and Callaway and Chubb and Hunt, David's going to have a lot of one-on-one running down the seam. And if he can take advantage, you can see a big year, especially in the red zone. So he's going to be a guy to watch for sure. And I expect him to take that next step because I think he's got that physical ability. And then you got Demetrius Harris, the big 6'6 guy, comes over from the Chiefs. He's a solid number two. And then the question is, does Seth the Valve stick again? You know, he's got athleticism. He's fought the injury bug. He's not a Dorsey draft pick. I like Seth DeValve, but he's a guy that there's no way that his job is secure. He's certainly on the bubble going into training. Yeah, he's got, he's got great hands, and it's, he's a bit like Duke Johnson. We just didn't see – I know he had injuries last year. We just didn't see uh, uh, enough of him. Did he look good in training camp this year? He did. You know what? It, it was funny. I remember saying to one of the guys I'm standing there watching practice, man, I haven't seen a lot of Seth DeValve. And then he makes a handful of catches one practice. I saw him drop a ball. Everybody drops balls, but, you know, it sticks in my head because I saw it happen this week. But he did show up. You know, what the tight ends coach, I believe, talked about him being more consistent this year, having a better spring than he has in the past. Um, he's just a guy he's, – he's kind of an enigma because when you watch him run down the middle of the field, he, he looks really good. And he's like, man, this guy's powerful and he's fast and he should be able to run away from people. And you see that on occasion in games. You just haven't seen it a lot. And part of that's opportunity. He hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities. But you just need to see it more. So, you know, it, this is, again, it's kind of like Najoku. Maybe this is a year where it clicks. I don't think he's going to get a ton of opportunities unless there's an injury in front of him. But I think he's also a guy that if he gets hurt for a couple of weeks in training camp, pulls a hamstring or whatever, then his job's in trouble. Yeah. And what about the fringe players? Do you see any of them at all? The um, uh, Farrell Brown, the Stephen Carlson, the other Princeton tight end. Do you see much of them at all? Yeah. It, 
uh, let me start with Carlson's interesting because, you know, Princeton guy, I happen to keep my eye on him, you know, just because you don't see a whole lot of Princeton guys running around. And he's made some plays, but when you line him up next to a guy like DeVal, to me, he just looks smaller. He's not, he doesn't have the NFL body yet. So I think it'd be a stretch to think he makes this team. And then Farrell Brown is big and strong. He looks great. The question is, when you put the pads on, is he a, is he give you enough force in the run game where you need to keep this guy? And number two, does he catch it consistently enough? Because I didn't see a whole lot of – I didn't see him catch the ball a ton in OTAs and minicamp. But I'll tell you, last year when I would watch him practice, I didn't see him hold on to the ball consistently enough. I saw too many drops. If he can get over that, which is a difficult thing to do, but if he can get over that, he's big and he's a huge target. And you can see this guy, he looks like an NFL player. You just need to see, I guess, the productivity match the physicality. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, going to be interesting with him. and Because uh, Austin, uh, Austin Charles, does he guarantee make the roster, you think, as a, as a halfback, uh, a unique uh, yeah, guy? Yeah, I, I do. I, right now, to me, he's on the roster. You need a lead blocker. And he does that better than DeValve. I mean, they could play DeValve in that role, but Charles does it better. He's got that fullback in him. The only thing I could see there is if another, a fullback on a different team got cut and they liked the straight-up fullback. But me personally, I like the versatility. I like a guy that can line up at fullback. And if you need him to play some tight end, which Charles has done, he caught a touchdown pass, I think it was yesterday, in minicamp. So – I think he's enough of a fullback that I like him as, you know, that hybrid guy. And, you know, if you're fighting, if you're really thin on roster spots, you know, maybe he sticks as your third tight end. I don't expect that to happen. But if you're really trying to squeeze a spot somewhere, I could see you doing it there. I'm just thinking of the tight end room. It's they should be able to get in so much space because everyone worrying about OBJ, Landry, uh, Nick Chubb, Hunt when he's back. There's going to be so many uh, opportunities where the field opens up due to all these potential landing spots. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and what's going to be really interesting is the personnel packages they use. Because we've seen the Browns use in the past a lot of two tight end sets. We saw it a lot last year. Darren Fells. Darren Fells played a bunch last year. Him and Najoku would be on the field together. And now part of that was because they didn't have a lot of receivers, right? They had a whole bunch of injuries and they were down the guys. But if you have OBJ, Landry, and Callaway, you're always going to have one running back on the field. That only leaves you one spot for a tight end. So I, I wonder how much Demetrius Harris is at number two tight end will see the field. And maybe it's, you know, maybe he sees the field on first downs. Maybe he sees it when they're running the ball. You know, let's assume they have a lead and they're trying to run out the clock at the end of games. But I, I think you'll see way more three wides than we have in the past. At least that would make, be my assumption because I think they want to get Callaway on the field. And uh, moving on to the last uh, uh, division here, last position in the uh, offense is uh, quarterback room. What has been your thoughts on the Mayfield um, so far? Yeah, throwing it well. You can tell that he's taken over that that leadership role. Not that he didn't have it last year, but he talked this week about 
it's tough to be as vocal as you want to be when, excuse me, when you're the backup and when Tyrod Taylor was the unquestioned leader to start the season. And Baker's clearly comfortable in that role. I thought he's thrown it well. I didn't think I didn't think the offense in general had a great mini camp. And I think part of that can go to Baker. I didn't think he threw it as accurately, maybe as we're used to. And, you know, and that could be, you know, he hadn't had a whole lot of reps with OBJ. And I do think Baker was hurt by the fact that he was down his top three receivers for much of OTA, at least when we were out there, the media was out there. So it's tough. You know, we could talk all day about Ishmael Hyman and, you know, uh, all these other backup, you know, Rashard Higgins. But when you don't have OBJ, Landry, and Callaway, it's going to affect your quarterback. So I think Baker's been fine. I think he's only going to get better. But the fact is, this team is going to go on how Baker plays. And if he makes the year two jump that John Dorsey thinks he can make, then the Browns are going to be really good. And they're going to win a bunch of games. If he doesn't have a huge jump, which, you know, is possible. We've seen plenty of quarterbacks not make a jump in year two, have the sophomore slump, then the Browns might struggle. I don't expect that to happen, but, you know, this is a quarterback-driven game. We saw what Patrick Mahomes did in his year two, which is really his year one playing, and I, and I think that's kind of the pull for Baker. Not that he has to throw 50 touchdowns, but he's got to be, you know, he's got to be the best player on his team, and we'll see if he is. Yeah, and uh, what about the depth of the uh, quarterback room? Uh, is um, Stanton definitely number two? Yeah, I, I think – yeah, I, I do. I don't think there's any – I don't think there's any competition there. I don't think there's any inclination inside the building to change that. The Browns made the decision when the offseason ended that they were comfortable with Drew Stanton as their number two quarterback. Now, I, I think the only question there is he didn't play at all last year. So – did his skills diminish? Is there too much rust? If he has to go in and play for Baker for a quarter or a game because Baker gets hurt, can he step in and be capable enough? And the Browns think he can, and they'll, they'll point to his resume. He's got a winning record when he's had to play. I think he had to start a playoff game in an emergency in Arizona. So they like his background. The only issue is, can he still do it at 34, 35, or however old he is? Yeah. If um... – God forbid, if uh, Mayfield got injured week one, do you think it's an opportunity for, like, um, uh, is it Gilbert to come in and start with his AF, AAF experience? Or you think Stanton would definitely start a, a game if, if Baker had an injury? I think, I think it's Stanton without a doubt. Um, Gilbert, I mean, Gilbert's tall. You know, Gilbert's got some stuff going for him. He's got the Baker connection. He didn't wow me in the in the off-season program in the springtime. I'll say this. I, I do think that that's another spot where the Browns could try to save a roster spot. And I, and I think they might need to do that. When we're talking about, man, do you keep eight or nine offensive linemen? Do you keep five or six receivers? All those things, you know, how many D-lines do you keep? You're always looking for, can I save a spot here? Can this running back return kicks? All those things. And, and I think they could only keep – Two, or keep only two quarterbacks this year, which would be a change from what they've done in the past. And then you try to find the best young guy that you think you can groom to be a backup quarterback, wherever that is, whether that's Gilbert, whether that's David Blau that is the undrafted rookie out of 
Purdue, whether that's a guy that gets cut from another team and you can pick him up at the end of the preseason. I think that's what you look for, but I would not be surprised at all if they only kept two quarterbacks on the roster. No, and uh, how did you see much of uh, David uh, Blau? Did you see him at all? I did. I did. He's a guy, you know, he's, he's just not a tangible. He doesn't have good tangibles. You know, he's about six feet tall. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. He had good production at Purdue. I think he's a guy that has to win in other ways, has to be smart, you know, has to make all the good decisions. There's just nothing where you watch him on film and you go, man, you're just not wowed by him. That doesn't mean he can't stick. It doesn't mean he can't have a career, but he's got a lot of obstacles to overcome. You know, I mean, Baker obviously doesn't have the perfect size, but he's got a big-time arm. And this kid in Blau just does not have nearly the same arm that Baker does. Well, Scott, mate, we've covered the uh, offenses taking over 35 minutes. So thank you so much for that. And if it's okay with you, Scott, I'll get you back on maybe in a couple of days and do the defense. That sounds great. And um, Scott, it's just an absolute pleasure talking to someone that's actually been there, seen it with their own eyes. Where can people find you online? Do you want to give your uh, Twitter one more time? Sure. It, the Twitter is at Scott Petrak, S-C-O-T-T-P-E-T-R-A-K. And you can read all the stories at brownzone.com. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for your time. And it's going to be a shame I'm not going to see you any photos for six or a week. So, uh, <laughs> uh, when, yeah, I know. Sorry, buddy. When they, looking out for me. When, they, when they come back, um, how, do you know how long the, the uh, mini camp is with pads on? Well, I, training camp should start the 25th, I want to say, 25th of July, and then they can put pads on the second or third day. Yeah, cool. And then, it, then it's open up to every all the public to watch and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the public can probably be out there the 25th or 26th. They haven't announced it officially yet, but that's when it's going to be. All right, awesome. Scott, thank you very much for your time. Let's catch up in a couple of days. Sounds perfect. Thanks a lot. Go Browns.